It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Locked On Women's Basketball is brought to you by DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you food you're craving right now, right to your door. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite restaurant, and your food will be left at your door. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code LOCKEDONNBA. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code LOCKEDONNBA. Don't forget... Locked on NBA for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Ogumba Wale for the win. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Hello and welcome to Locked on Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard McDowell, reminding you to follow us on Twitter at Locked on WBB and make sure you listen to us every day for a different take on women's basketball. And I am here with Shakina Strickland. I'm here, unfortunately, meaning there, uh, which is Bradenton, Florida, of the Atlanta Dream. Uh, I am remote at the moment, but uh, while I am experiencing a significant amount of missing out, I'm still excited to get to share this with her. Shakina, how are you today? I'm doing all right. I'm doing pretty good. I'm glad to hear it. And and the place I want to start with you is obviously you guys, we're recording this Thursday. We're going to go up Friday morning. But you guys had a big win last night uh, over the Chicago Sky to uh, keep yourself in the playoff race. I understand it involved a halftime, uh, let's just say, talking to, to the team from Nikki Collin. And I'm wondering for you, somebody no stranger to leadership and seeing leadership take different forms as somebody who played for Pat Summit, how the styles of Nikki and Pat are similar and how they're different. Um, I mean, they, they, um, when you're not playing up to your standard, they, they will come at you. And that's what Nikki did at halftime. Um, or like around the third quarter, she, she just laid it all out for us and she came at us and, and, you know, you got to really take in what they say and not how they say it. And I believe as a team, we responded to Nikki. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, our defense, our aggressiveness, our attitude, everything just changed. And um, and I think that's, that's really got us going. Like our defense, we got stops and we were able to run. Um, so, I mean, they're both similar in that aspect. And um, they're very, you know, they, they just, they just want the best for you. They want you to play up to your standards. Uh, the same for her and uh, Pat. And they really believe it, it starts on the defensive end. To to have that commonality, I think, is a really interesting thing. Because defense is the type of thing where effort and communication are so central to it. I, I guess I wonder when coaches emphasize these things in general, can you only go to the well so often? in terms of raising your voice, in terms of 
uh, laying down a marker and saying, look, this is what I need from you. And do you think that there's an understanding among a good leader that there are the times you have to pick your spots to do it? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Um, and, I mean, man, you have to be able to talk to different teammates because, you know, different teammates takes it or responds differently uh, than one person you might can yell at it or one person you just got to, you know, pull to the side and communicate. And, you know, just you just got to figure out uh, how to talk to each one of your teammates. And then when you're on the court, it just, like you said, a defense is all about communicating. And we just, and I, I feel like that's what we did on our big win against Chicago last night. Like, mm-hmm. We really started communicating on defense, and we was talking, and we were calling switches. We was on help side, and and I think that's something we probably like, we haven't been consistent with throughout the season. And you can tell, like when we were communicating and getting stopped, we were just having so much fun, and we was able to run and get into. I believe it was like our game and like our running game, been able to get out in transition, and and it all, like you said, it all starts with communicating, and you know it just takes, you know, got to really talk to each other. Is that harder when a team? I mean, you guys have had so much coming and going this year. First of all, so many of you are in your first year with the dream to begin with, but then with late arrivals, with the fact that. There's been injuries along the way uh, of a significant nature. Do you feel as if the communicating that you're talking about is something that's only starting to happen now in large part because it's just a, a matter of getting people playing together on a daily basis? Yes. I mean, we don't been through it. I mean, when we first started training camp, I mean, we had three people that really wasn't training camp. I mean, besides Courtney, like, she knew you know, she know the system because it's similar to Connecticut, mm-hmm. you know, so then, um, but we still had two that got to learn it, and, and, and the system is not really that easy, <laughs> I mean, you, you need practicing to learn it, and then, I mean, it's, it, it, you know, I hate to take that it's taking always close to the end of the season for us to all to get on the same page, um, but, I mean, it, it is because we don't have injuries, we don't have, uh, we know we had a lot of things that come at us, uh, especially having a lot of different players. Like you said, uh, this season, I think only three remaining players that said that were going to Atlanta last year. So it's like you still it's a, you have to really learn each other. Um, it's not that easy. Um, but once you do it, I think you can really tell, like, we're starting to really learn each other and feel and play off each other. And, and when we really do get that, it's a really good team. And I, I believe it's. Um, and it's really starting to peak at the stretch. I mean, we got to win the next two games, and, but we still need help. But I feel like if we do get into the playoffs, I really think teams uh, might be a little scared to play us. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and there's no doubt you guys are one of the eight teams that play, is playing best right now. It's just simply a question of mathematics and making up for what had happened earlier in the year. But it is, again, it's another example of, of a Nikki Collin team figuring it out as the year went along. Uh, that happened in 2018 uh, when that dream team uh, started slow but ended up making it uh, within a game of the WNBA Finals. And so if I could, because I, I think this traces back to 
your path, which is a really interesting one as far as I'm concerned in a number of ways. But to make the decision to want to play for Nikki in the same way that, you know, you could have made the decision to stay closer to home uh, when it when it came to college. But instead, you went to go play for Pat and go to University of Tennessee. And obviously, there are a lot of things that go into both of those decisions. But I see a commonality that in each case, it was a strong woman who was leading the team that you went out of your way to choose. And the two primary periods in your career where you're able to choose. And I just, I wonder how much of a part that plays in the way you thought about it at the time and how significant you think it is to have women in these positions of leadership. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, I mean, it's, it's big. I mean, um, and I've always, <laughs> I think growing up, I, I was a big Tennessee fan. I I think, I mean, I started watching Tennessee when I was young. Mm-hmm. Uh, favorite player was Shamika Holes Club. Uh, so, I mean, I could have stayed closer to home, but at the time, like, they had, they was going through coaching, switching. They had just got rid of Susie Gardner and looking for a new coach. And, and then also, I mean, I had already built, a, I was building a good relationship with Tennessee. And, um, and I mean, that was like a, my, my dream to go to Tennessee. So it was like, you know, I couldn't turn it out and play for one of the legendary coaches. Uh, <clears throat> and, you know, so um, I couldn't really turn that down. Like, sure. Uh, and I and um and I I enjoyed every bit of the college experience. Learned a lot, and my um, thought was on me so much. Being uh, a leader and talking more, because I'm not really the talkest person. Um, I'm not the one that just yeah, that's the one. Like I'm more the person I pull you aside and you know have a conversation with you. Um, but I mean, it it all goes in plan. You know, being one of the oldest on the team and you just been able to talk and just figure out who, like I said, how I can communicate with one teammate or or another. Um, and you know, and you can see like it's. Just, I mean, overall, it's just a fun team, and I think everyone is just want to win and that's a good thing now when it comes to your career arc you talked about being one of the one of the older players on the team which is still kind of hard for me to get my mind around as somebody who's remember (laughs) who remembers your your pathway dating back to school but what also has happened it seems to me over the course of your career you know since you were drafted uh, by Seattle in 2012 is the league has started to play more and more the style that accentuates what you do best, uh, you know, your, your perimeter shooting. And so I wonder whether it feels to you in, in two ways. Does it feel like the league has a better appreciation for the things you do on the court and your ability to space the floor than it did when you first got here? And then the other part of it is, has the ability to get 
good looks in an offense changed for you because more and more teams are playing in a floor spacing style. And that was certainly the way uh, Kurt utilized you, and it's certainly the way Nikki is utilizing you now. So I'm hoping you take me through those two things. Oh, uh, most definitely. Uh, I think the game now is like team, you, they need the spacing on the court because, I mean, there's a lot of players now that it's really good at one-on-one. Um, we have them on our team, and I think when you have a shooter on the court that can space that, not, <clears throat> you know, teams can't help on them so much and they're able to play their game one-on-one or get to the basket or get to their pull-up because of the spacing, it's great. And if they help, it's able to kick, kick out and you got a, you know, good shooter shooting the so, um I mean, that's another thing why I was have become an Nikki. I know she was similar. I you know the style with Connecticut and um, you know, similar plays, similar, you know, system. Um, and I have it just I mean, I've just been struggling. I really have struggled this season. I shooting haven't it's been really inconsistent and um but I mean, it, it's still helping. I think still been out there on the court really draws uh, spacing. I think uh, teams still don't lead me very much, and I think it still gives us a lot of spacing on the court. I, I would, like I said, I, I'm somebody who likes to dive into the numbers. Uh, one of my favorite stats uh, of, throughout your career was last year with that Sun team that came within a game, and I covered that game live. I mean, you guys a couple of bounces go your way, and that, and that is a championship you win. But that was a stacked Sun team. The best on-court offensive rating for anyone on that team was you. You, you guys were 104.1 with you on the floor. And I, I think that speaks volumes to what you do offensively and how valuable it was and remains now in Atlanta as well. But I also think, and this is something that gets beyond the numbers, it's more of an eye test really. When I think about, all right, who's, who's a great shooter? It's the ones who are surprising when they miss. It's surprising to me when you miss, which I know isn't, isn't a fair standard to hold somebody to, <laughs> but it's true. It's just, that's just the reality of it. And so you have become that level of shooter but you've improved as your career has gone on. Your first four or five years in the league, you were generally around 35%. You were up above 40% in both 2017 and 2018. What allows a good shooter to become a great shooter? What allowed you to take that next step? Oh, I think <clears throat> just staying positive mind, you know, your mindset, I think, all about uh, being a great shooter is having, you got to have a strong mindset. I think that's where I can get better at because, I mean, when I shoot, I feel like it's going to go in and I get frustrated, like, ah, oh, they're supposed to go in, you know? So it's like, when I, when a shooter, when they, when I'm missing it, I should always still know that I'm going to hit that next one. I'm going to hit that next one. And it just, I think, just keep getting that stronger mindset that, even I believe even my teammates believe when I shoot that it's going to go in, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's just you got to have that, that confidence, that mindset always, and I think that's something that I, I still got to get better. It's like I know I'm a good shooter. I just got to keep having that confidence, even if I have a miss one or two, or in a game where I have a 
bad games, you know, just always got to stay ready um, and just, you know, keep shooting it like you're going to hit the next shot. And um, it's crazy you saying these stats because I had no clue about that when yeah. I was before. <laughs> I don't I, I'm, I'm glad to bring the numbers and and I guess to, to that end though just from a you talked about keep on shooting but so many shooters I talk to they say it's about the repetition it's about making sure that your shot is entirely the same and yeah. I, I bring that up very specifically because you have been battling a shoulder injury this year and you're still shooting almost 35% from three, which kind of boggles my mind. That You're a better than league average three-point shooter despite doing something that I would think has to fundamentally change the way you're shooting. And, and just how do you think through that in the course of a game? How Are you simply trying to repeat your motion despite the fact that you're dealing with that? Is it more of a question of, all right, you find a workaround? What do you do as, as a shooter in the game? Uh, you know, I, I try not to have excuse, especially about this season, because I'm really frustrated because I know I can shoot a lot better than what I've been doing in this uh, this season. Uh, but, yeah, I have been struggling with my shoulder. And, you know, just not having been able to get my full extent. Like, sometimes I can, and sometimes, like, I know my range, and I just feel like I sometimes I get scared that I think I'm just going to go too far with it. Uh, so that's kind of been throwing me off, but it's like um, I still feel like the shots that I've been getting, I I I should hit. I have gotten quite a bit of like, open shots, and um, but I think sometimes also uh, timing, um, and still you know this is different teammates I'm playing with. It's it's still I still like trying to figure out like all right the movement or figure out what they're going to do and. It all goes into shooting with, with me, I feel like. And, um, but, I mean, I, if I, I look at the students, like, I'm like, man, I, I think I'm still shooting, like, 35, 34, 35%. And mm -hmm. it's like, to me, I feel like I've had a horrible shooting season. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Horrible for you. Very good for everyone else. But, but you're also getting these opportunities uh, with with Courtney Williams now playing on a regular basis. And so now to be a shooter within an offense that has Courtney, that has Kennedy Carter, that has, you, you know, Benai uh, Zelaney is, is another person who's been extraordinarily good at getting to the basket. Does it feel like the looks are coming more easily now for you than they did earlier in the season? Uh, yes, most definitely. <clears throat> uh, I think uh, with, because B people B have really, you know, gotten her respect that she needs and teams are really focusing on her. And then you got Kennedy she's definitely hard to stop. Uh, when her like when she wanna get to the basket, she's definitely hard to stop and, and of course people already know Courtney, you know, her game coming up you know, so it is when playing with them and and it's really drawing a lot of attention that I sometimes I do get open shots. Uh, wide open looks at it. I'm like, all right, I'm not used to being this so wide open. Um, but I think it's it's really been good, uh, especially in, in the beginning of the season when things were more, you know, different. It wasn't that 
teams wasn't really leaving me. Some some teams were face guarding me, so I was right. like, "Oh, this ain't fun." <laughs> <laughs> but to see it now, I mean, well, you you guys are a sleeping giant. They, other teams better hope you don't make it to the playoffs because you guys, I think, have figured some key things out. I, I, I do want to ask you, just bigger picture, you know, it's one thing to be playing back-to-back, you know, every other day, the way you guys have been playing on a regular basis. But you've also been doing it in this confined location. So I wonder, how often do you think about life once the bubble is over? And let's let's be optimists, and let's say once October rolls around, after you guys win the title, right? And you're now free to go out, free to leave the bubble. What's the first thing you're excited about, you know, even within the confines of COVID? And then what's the most exciting thing to you when this is all over, when there's a vaccine and everyone's out and about? What's the thing, what are the, what's the thing you're most looking forward to in that way as well? I mean, when I first leave, I just want to get in my Jeep, Roll the windows down and just drive and ride. <laughs> Listen to music. <laughs> I think that's something. But I think when all this is over, I I'm really ready to get back into being in an arena, playing in front of the fans. I I love the crowd, the fan, the energy. Uh, being able to pump up the crowd when I do hit a three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think. Man, I miss all that feeling, and it, it's it's so different being in this bubble because I know how I am and how I'm. I always used to get the crowd involved and get everyone fired up, and it's like ah, you know. So it's, I think I just ready for that to get back to normal. Man, I I miss it, and they weren't even cheering for me, so I can only imagine. <laughs> well, Shatina Strickland, it's always great chatting with you. I'm really glad we got to catch up, and I certainly wish you all the best. I'm sure we'll chat soon. Yeah, thank you. It was great. Thank you. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.